Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our FSM podcast without Dr. McMegan. Um, it's me, Kim Pettis. So for the entire month of June, I'm going to be bringing you some guests from different backgrounds because we as FSM practitioners come in all shapes, sizes, backgrounds, educational backgrounds. So I'm trying to cover everything. Um, our first guest was um, Dr. Ben Catholi. We had him a couple weeks ago, and then we had Peter Twist last week. And our guest today is Dr. Rob DiMartino. I'm going to ask you to start your video, Rob, and I'm going to ask you to unmute so we can... Um, Hi! So nice to see you. Let me um, let me do a little bit of um, tinkering here, so I can spotlight you for everybody, and then I'm going to spotlight myself. This helps when we add it to YouTube, so that we are um, either side by side or up and down, however it's going to be. I'm going to close this. I'm going to open up this. Here we are. Hi. Hi, look at you doing all this all by yourself. I would be I'm com- such a big girl. <laughs> I would be completely lost. Proud of you. I, I, I'm telling you, I was in a panic. My my teenager's just like, why are you so stressed? I'm like, because I have to somehow, like normally when Kevin does it, I just start my camera. <laughs> I don't have to worry about recording if it's going to a cloud, what cloud, where the cloud is, if it's my computer. So hopefully everything um, works here. So I'm just going to put this back in gallery view for everybody. Again, I've got my big girl pants on today. I'm going to, I think this works. Okay. Hi. Thank you for coming this week. Um, I was super excited when I got your text asking. I was excited to do it. You know, it was funny when I knew I had to be by myself for the month of June, I was trying to make a list of who I wanted to invite and who my like top 10 people are. And, um, I I was thinking back at the advance, like that's where I was kind of gathering all my like people knowledge from. And you're one of my favorite people that I met at the advance. And I was trying to think what advanced meeting we met and it might've been the one in Vegas. Yeah, it probably was. It probably started out here. Um, And I think you're, the talk that you gave, it was I, for sure the year that you were talking was on like practice management or something. <laughs> I got I got pigeonholed into the, the <laughs> business management side for a while. And then one day I was like, can I please talk about science stuff? Like I'm actually a, a pretty decent doctor at what I do. I, I managed to build a good cl- uh, clinic off of this science of that, but I, I'd love to talk. But she's like, no, you got to talk about business again. I'm like, well, look, it's an important thing for all of us as well, too. So yeah, that was the first one. And uh, I guess I did okay because I kept getting asked back. <laughs> For sure, right? Like you are, you are such a great speaker, but you, I just remember after you gave your talk, I think it was like the next day or that afternoon, we were kind of sitting in the back row and there was some, I could have been some other PTs and we were like, I felt like the bad kids in the back of the room because we were like giggling about stuff and we were like talking about something. And then it, my brain started going and like the advanced is such a special meeting because you always find your people there, mm-hmm. you know, and not just your people like Kairos versus Kairos or PTs or whatever, but like you find the people that kind of speak the FSM language that have been in the trenches with it. You, you know what I mean? So I, I loved collab. We talked about so many different conditions and stuff. So, um, Hopefully you're back lecturing about science stuff soon because you are, you're, you're a fantastic speaker. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, we were, I'm, a, I'm the world's worst seminar attendee. Like I have to, I'm the bad kid. Like I sit in the back, I have a thousand ideas that pop into my head. I'm on my phone researching them. I'm pacing because I got to get my brain going. So I'm always in the back and I'm always usually moving around because that's people say things and it triggers something in my head. It's my favorite thing about FSM is it opened up a whole new world to me of, if you hit a buzzword or when I read research and I hit a buzzword, I was like, wait, I have a frequency for that. I can do something about that now. Where in the past it was, well, that's interesting. Put it on the side because it wasn't really actionable. Everything became really directly actionable. So yeah, I'll be back at the advance this year. I already said yes. Uh, topic pending. It's going to be something sciencey, but uh, I don't know. We have, too, we have too many good ideas. So we'll have to kind of pass through and see which one we end up with. So if anybody's got good ideas for topics that they want to hear me go on, I'm happy to. Well, happy maybe, to- maybe we'll get one going today. I have some, like yeah. my list for what I wanted to dive into with you is, is crazy. Um, so hopefully we get it all in. Um, so 
introduce yourself a little bit. Like you are a chiropractor practicing in Las Vegas, but you're not like a chiropractor. Like you are, um, you treat a lot of conditions. I think if people were to go to your website and I believe it's superior health solutions, right. Or, um, the website is shslasvegas.com. Shslasvegas.com. Yeah. And if a person goes to there, I mean, it is not your typical website that you would think of when we think about going to a chiropractor, think, oh, my neck hurts or, you know, you, you, some of your, your conditions that you treat are really complicated, heavy conditions. You've got Lyme and mold and lupus, um, not the conditions that a lot of people think of, um, to see a chiropractor for. So I kind of wanted to, and in your on your website, I do my research with the guests that I bring on, just so you know, I want to make sure, I mean, I know you, but, um, I didn't know your story. Um, and your story is on, on the website. So maybe before I ask you how you got onto this FSM journey, I'd like to hear about how you got into, um, being a chiropractor and the story on your website, um, says a lot. Yeah. So, uh, my, my health journey started at a much younger age as unfortunately my older sister got diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. So a really advanced form of bone cancer. And it was right around the time I was born. She was almost seven. I was born. And about six months later, she started to have some physical problems. She had pain in her knees and oh, pain in the one knee. And, and, you know, you talk about the seventies here. So they went through like a whole rigmarole of different diagnoses. And by the time that they figured out that it was a really aggressive form of Ewing sarcoma, it was, we were well into the game there. So unfortunately when I was 10 and she was 17, she passed away from, she finally lost the ultimate battle that she fought for you know most of her life. And I, so I was that kid, I grew up and I was like, I'm gonna be a doctor. And I'm going to do something on oncology and, you know, everybody else, you know, what do you want to do? I want to be a policeman. I want to be a fireman. I was like, I want to be an oncologist. Like I was that weird kid who who would say these things. And, um, but then shortly about three months after she passed, I started with really severe debilitating migraines. And from the age of 10 to the age of 14, I never went more than 48 hours without a migraine. And I'm talking migraines, like I see the spots. I'd have the aura. I had 45 minutes to get myself someplace safe before I was violently ill. I was shaking. I was sweating. My head, I always described it felt like my brain was on a pendulum. And if I moved a little bit, it would just smash my brain into the side. And eventually nothing really gave me relief until I threw up. And then once I threw up, then I was kind of back in the game and I'd sleep it off for 10 or 12 hours. And then I'd go again. So it was, it was one of those things where uh, you know, I, I was desperate for help. My parents are awesome. Like I won the parent lottery. They took me everywhere, every doctor. I was in New York city, you know, so it wasn't like I didn't have a lot of docs. I, they took me everywhere. And people told me like, well, some people are just like that. And I was like, well, I, I can't stay like this. So again, dating myself here a little bit, this was pre-internet, right? So I had one of those, you know, remember those black and white composition notebooks? Yes. Okay, so I had one of those at that age and I started filling it out. I was just trying to look for solutions for myself. This is what I ate. This is how I felt. This is how I exercised. This is what I did. And then one day, by the grace of God, I was playing basketball. It did feel good enough. I was playing basketball, which was uh, my sport of choice. And I jumped and somebody took my legs out from underneath me and I went crashing down and got knocked out. And when I came to, I had sciatica. So they took me to a Cairo. And the Cairo takes one one look at me and one touch of my neck and head and says, do you have head and neck problems? And I said, yeah, but you know, I'm here for the sciatica. Like they told me these headaches are unresolvable. And he's like, well, I think I could help you. And to be totally honest, I didn't believe him, but I was so desperate at that point. I was like, Hey man, like I'll, if you told me to stand on my head in the corner for two hours a day, I'll do it. Cause I, I'm, I'm hopeless here. And he helped me, you know, and, and uh, I was 14 and I asked him, Hey, can, can I work in your office? Can I hang out here? Because all my pre, I grew up in hospitals with my sister, you know, she was always sick. And then we were always in and out of the emergency rooms and stuff. So it was a very different experience for me. And then funny enough and not funny at the same time, I I'm all excited. I go through all the way through college. I'm, I'm hell bent on going to chiropractic school. I go to chiropractic school. I get there. I'm there for about a month and a half. And my mom comes out to, my mom and dad come out to visit me. My mom hits me with the, you better sit down conversation, which is never good. And she says, I have leukemia. And I got diagnosed with chronic lymphocytic leukemia. It's an eight-year life expectancy. The doctor told me not to expect five. 
and I'm like, we're back into this now, you know? So I came out here to, you know, I, they had just retired to Las Vegas. That's how I ended up out here. So I, you know, I came out here, I went to all the doctor's visits and frankly, good people, good docs, but the answers weren't good enough. You know, it, it, it's like, well, you know, your average white blood cell counts are five to 8,000. Hers were 184,000. So I said, doctor, like, what do we do here? He says, well, when she reaches 200,000, we're going to do chemo. Is that a normal number? Oh no, that's crazy high. So why are you waiting? Why did you pick that? Well, it's just a nice round number. Stop. Oh. Okay. I said, so what can she do between now and 200,000 to not get there? Well, nothing. Just random chance. And I was like, again, this is my mom. These are not good enough answers. It's not good enough answers for anybody's mom, let alone my mom. Right. So I went through school, uh, but at the same time, every weekend, every dollar I could scavenge. And, and thankfully I was working before I went to chiropractic school. So I spent a lot of that money. I was going to every seminar I could go to. It didn't matter who it was. I was open because I had no choice but to be open, right? It was my mom's life. And I was like, you know, I know I'm not going to chiropractic her out of this. And um, I had her seeing a chiro out here. And then when I came out here, I was taking care of her, but it was just progressively worsening until I finally said, look, we have to change everything. And that was when we brought in tech. And that was when we started to really evolve things. And for some reason, pulling her case apart with everything I had learned and a little bit from here and a little bit from there and a little bit from there, it just all made sense to me. For some reason, I could see through the pattern of it all. And once I was able to do that and I was doing it for her and I had built a pretty nice chiropractic practice, but I was like, this isn't right. I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing by my patients here because I'm helping them with this, but I know they need that. Or I know there's people who need that. And I'm, you know, they're, they got moms and they are moms and they, you know, or dads. So I went home to my wife and I told her, I was like, I ain't doing this no more changing everything. I literally shut everything down and I changed everything over and I went to purely chronic disease. So we kind of have a, what we call a bring it practice where you got it, is something wrong? We'll figure out a solution towards it. And that's how we built all of these tools. And my poor mom was the guinea pig of all of it. Someone has to be. <laughs> but someone, someone has to be, but you know, hey, you know what? Uh, pushing November here, we're going to be at 23 years since diagnosis. Wow. 23 years from diagnosis. She's, she's still around. Uh, God bless her. She's doing really well. Uh, you know, she, she got to be around to see all my kids. That's right? beautiful. You know? Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, when you think about all of that, you think about all the time and all the seminar hours and all the, the time away and everything else like that, there, there's nothing that touches that. Right. So, you know, it, it was something uh, forced to be open-minded towards it, but then microcurrent was just there along the journey and then became one of my main, my main tools in, in my arsenal. So that was the, kind of my next question, you know, um, finding FSM, I always say like, we don't find FSM, FSM finds us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like, um, rock tape or, um, some of the stretching seminars that I go to, it is a very unique modality with such a diverse, um, practitioner base. So can you tell me how, yeah, how you found FSM or how FSM found you? Yeah. So I I actually found it through Jim Bolt. So Jim Bolt, who was using it and he was using it for treating certain conditions that are persona non grata for natural healthcare treatment that began with the letter C and um, so we can keep all of ourselves safe here. And there's a lot of desert out there and I don't want to end up in it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, he was doing that work and uh, we had known each other through mutual friends and he had said, Hey, can you look at some of this cytokine data for me? And I said, sure. And I looked at it and I said, no, that's not possible. That's gotta be error. Right. And, and he's like, all right, well, and then he sent me just case after case after case and he literally said to me, what do you think now? And my answer was, I think you need to tell me what this is and where I can get it before it disappears. Right. Because if you can do this predictably, like you're saying, you can do it and we need to be in on this. Yeah. And I bought machines. I bought everything else. I even went to a seminar. I bought all the books. I read everything. I worked completely backwards because I was so in just from the data. And then when I went to my first seminar, I was so blown away. And I still get this feedback from doctors all the time when I tell them to go take the seminars you know, they're expecting a, a how to turn the machine on, use this setting, but there is so many great clinical pearls through any FSM seminar, whether it's, you know, the sport or whether it's just the, the, the even the basic 
you know, the introductory course, I was like, man, I walked out of there with great clinical pearls and the advanced, obviously so much more so. And then symposiums when you get to be, you know, start hanging out with all of the likes like you guys, but it it just opens your mind to all these different types of things and really evolves how you are as, as a doctor, because now you're really able to address things that you weren't able to do before, not directly, at least. For sure. I, I agree with you. Um, my, my, um, entry into FSM was kind of the same, but almost backwards. I was treating athletes that were, um, had custom cares. I'm like, you guys are crazy. If you think this little device is going to help you with recovery, you think that's going to help you with scar tissue more than my hands, more than an adjustment, more than this. Um, and then I saw it in action and I felt smush. And then I was the same as you. I had um, healthy amounts of OCD, dropped everything, got on a plane. I want to say 10 days later, um, the first FSM course was in Dallas um, and um, took a core, bought the DVDs, took it distance learning, took another core. I thought I had a learning disability. I'm like, why is this so hard? Like, why, why don't I understand this? Um, because I was waiting for like the quick weekend course that it was only a weekend. And so I should be on the plane back and I should know everything the way I was when I took kinesio taping, I could tape anything, any condition on any human done. Um, This isn't like that. Um, I think we're getting better at teaching FSM now because we're really teaching practitioners how to think as opposed to memorizing the frequencies, um, because it isn't, it isn't linear, unfortunately. And fortunately, I love the fact that I have to think, and I love the fact that my patient history forms have gone from one page to six. (laughs) A lot of questions now, don't you? (laughs) And I think any practitioner, um, from any background, whether, um, you know, it's chiropractic or functional medicine or PT, I think it's just a really great idea that we are gathering as much information about the patient as possible, regardless if it's conditions that we can't treat that are outside of our scope of practice, why not get the history? Yeah, no, you're hundred percent right. It's a blessing and a curse at the same time, because to have, you know, over a million different frequency combination possibilities, it's amazing to have that much capability of targeting all the things that we do, but at the same time, it's super daunting. Yep. And to the point where, I mean, I've been doing this for, I don't know how long now, 15 years or whatever it's been since I've been in microcurrent. And I still stare at those sheets. And every once in a while, I'm like, when did that number get in there? Like, like <laughs> did that, when I wasn't looking like, like, how did that, how did I miss this? But it, you know, it, it always, it always shows up when I need it. Yes. And so I always constantly look at it. I'm always rereading my notes. I'm always rewatching this stuff. I, again, I'm a bit OCD. I have drawers and drawers full of all of all my old seminar notes from every seminar I've ever taken. And I'm constantly going over them. And I'm always amazed. I'm like, wow, that didn't mean anything to me then, but it means a heck of a lot to me now. And it means a heck of a lot to me because of that one patient I got to deal with. Right. That's exactly it. I don't know if it's the patient that brings the conditions that bring the frequencies or sometimes it's opposite. You know, I love the buddy or the app, whatever that we have. It's great. If I'm like, what the heck is diaphragm again? Or what is occiput? And then I can punch it in, but there is, and I'll say this every podcast, there's something so, um, beautifully therapeutic about just strolling down the laminate and that frequency, just like you said, jumps out. I'm like, seriously, we have a frequency for that. I know this was I know this was printed in 2018, but what? (laughs) It's a weekly basis. Like I've never looked at it before, and yet somehow (laughs) there's always new stuff on there, and it it just evolves. I I think we evolve. Our thinking evolves. The more patience we see with this, we evolve. Because you're right, it is a huge turning point for me when I was able to start taking on some of these more complicated cases, especially in functional medicine. Wise was. I had to come up with a core philosophy of disease, right? Like I think that was one of the things that drew me so heavily towards Cairo was I love this idea that they had this really core philosophy of disease, right? One thing, you know, acupuncture has it, all the, all the natural healing modalities have it, but functional medicine didn't really have it. Functional medicine had, well, we find and we treat the cause of disease. That's great. Well, what's the cause of autoimmune disease, which is the most of my practice, right? Well, we don't really know. And it's not solvable. 
well, those two things don't match, right? <laughs> you, know, you, you know, like you're talking about it. It sounds great as a mission statement on paper. You know, we find and, and we solve these causes of diseases, but we don't uniformly agree on what causes this. And we agree that the way that we do it isn't probably going to make it go away. We can manage it really well, right? but it's not gone. So I, I took a fair amount of heat when I started to make waves into the point of saying, I'm expecting antibodies to go away. You know, when I work on my patients, I expect antibodies to be gone. And it's, well, how do you do it? And I'm saying, first off, I don't do anything. <laughs> you know, I love to take credit for it. It's not me laying on hands. It's science and tech that allows us to do things now that we were never able to do before. But none of that really worked for me until I had that central thesis of disease and autoimmune in, in the main spot of it. This one thing causes it. Now I just have to work through that. And it took me forever to figure out what that one thing was because I mean, it was just hours of researching and being very outside the box. You know, I spend most of my time on like page two or three of Google, which is where nobody goes. You find good stuff there because that's where the obscure stuff, but then you're starting to connect dots. And that was how I was able to, and part of the building of the practice was I went from seeing a few people to a lot of people managing a lot of cases all by myself because I had this, system that I could work them through because right. it all just fit the pattern in my head. What are like your top two conditions that you're treating right now with or without FSM? Probably so, with FSM, but yeah, no. So, so FSM pretty much gets used with everybody. Like okay. if you're going to come in here and you're going to play and we're going to take on like, you know, these more real difficulty type of cases, um, we're going to do this. And so most of my practice is autoimmune. Most of my practice is autoimmune. Uh, but I have a, a very kind of special place in my heart, I suppose, for MS. Uh, it's one of those diseases that, um, you know, it's a very rare disease that everybody knows somebody with. Correct. Right. And even though it's rare, everybody knows somebody with it. So we've been heavily into that. And despite the fact of the complexity of it, and it's a neuro and it's an autoimmune, they respond beautifully. What are, what are your, what are your favorite frequencies to use with MS? patients. So we'll use, or a does lot, it change? Yeah. We'll use a lot of stuff with the cord. Obviously, you know, you're, you're, you're basically like your cytokine settings to work with the cord, but big things with them, they have a lot of really interesting things where there's a whole subset of research out there that will talk about that, that basically MS is pineal gland failure. Hmm. So pineal settings for them, pituitary settings for them, massively important to get them towards the resolution of the problem and you know everything that's working mitochondrial wise and anything you do to really raise cell voltage is going to be just massive for them so in my clinic i have a whole bunch of different technologies that all kind of get paired together like I, any piece of technology i pretty much either have it or i've tried to run through it and we're using a combination of all of those things but microcurrent is the one thing i could say that that is the most specific that i could say i need to hit pineal or i right. need to hit that and I think that's why it's one of my more indispensable tools. Yeah. The possibilities are, are endless. Um, you talked a little bit about autoimmune conditions, um, with FSM. I had a, a really interesting, and I can't remember if I even shared this information with you when we first met, but when we were going through our, I'm Canadian, when we were immigrating, um, to the U S and getting our green cards, we, um, the US government sends you for biometrics and you have to get blood work to make sure that you don't have syphilis. That is the major condition um, okay. <laughs> you, you, okay. you don't want to come into the US with. So I'm like, no problem. We're all, our family goes and get our blood work and I, you have to go to an independent medical examiner for this, not your regular doctor. I go back the next day to pick up our blood work. And uh, the doctor said, well, I can give you and your kids your envelopes, but uh, you tested positive. And I'm in the waiting room saying, you're telling me I have syphilis? And everyone's just like, whoa. And I'm like, <laughs> I go, clearly there's an error. And he said, yes, um, it's probably because of your autoimmune condition. And I said, well, I don't have an autoimmune condition. He said, you should go see your primary care physician. So I went and did an ANA panel. And lo and behold, I have some scattered stuff that looks like lupus. Mm. Um, I had no idea. So good and bad, you know, some information, great. But when, um, 
when you have a history and I mean, all through college, I swore I had lupus, like every pathology class I went to every morning, I thought I had the butterfly rash. I was just waiting for it because it is the disease of a thousand faces, fatigue, all the things that I just, you know, chalked up to being a working mom. Um, But anyways, long story short, I made a lot of changes. I I don't believe it's just one. um, It's, I don't believe any disease is ever just one, um, uh, source of treatment. I believe in multiple treatments from different angles, as long as they complement each other. And I think many of them do is the catalyst to overcoming, um, stuff. So I watched my diet and my diet was pretty clean, but I met a great rheumatologist at Stanford who was very holistic, which I was super shocked. I thought for sure the minute I got into see her, she was going to put me on, um, some sort of hardcore, um, yeah, that whole, Exactly. And, and she said, have you ever thought about cutting out dairy? I'm like, what? Sure. I was already gluten-free. So I, I, I cut out dairy. I watched my exercise. Um, she was looking through my work and she says, FSM, are those those little boxes that people use? And I'm just like, well, kind of, I, and I'm thinking, you probably think it's a tens machine. She's like, no, my husband used FSM for his ankle. She's like, I wonder if that would help with low levels of inflammation. Let's try it. Treated myself for a while. Didn't really get anywhere. The next year, my levels were still the same, but then we started doing more and more work with the vagus nerve. And I spent a year um, treating myself pretty consistently with vagus nerve and some other things that I'll share with you in another podcast. And this year, I'm proud to say with no other changes, just by using vagus nerve, um, my ANA was normal. Yeah. So whatever is hovering, and I'm sure it's still there, but as long as I can keep those inflammatory markers below the radar, it's fascinating. Yep. It's, it's really wild because what really threw me with it was I always again, I came up through the traditional functional medicine world. So everything to me was biochemical, right? Biochemistry. So it was biology, you know, to me, it was biology was the most important thing. Then there was chemistry and then somewhere in the pitfalls of the earth were physics and that involved math. And I wanted no part of that. So, you know, I was like, okay. And then as I was kind of sitting around, I was actually having dinner one day with with a good buddy of mine. I went to, went to college with, and, and he's a PhD not he's a doctor, but he's not a, he's not an MD, he's a PhD. And I was complaining about autoimmune in some portion, you know, framework. And, and he was like, well, it's a very physics related disorder. And I was like, I don't know what you mean by that. And he's like, it's an energetic disorder. He's like, they're not biochemical dysfunctions. He's like, they're, they're energetic disorders. And I was like, I don't really understand what you mean by that. And he really, you know, he obviously is not in that world. He couldn't explain it to the level but then I started to like change my thinking and I started to look and I'm like, man, there is just worlds of research out here talking about how these things really are, are, are energy related disorders, right? They're physics disorders. So then that flipped my whole world upside down because now it became physics became my whole world and chemistry and biology were things that reacted to the physics. They're still important, right? You want all your parts. You want to make sure your chemistry is balanced, you know, cutting out dairy, things like that's important. But the physics was this governing science, which it's always been, but I never looked at it that way from a doctor perspective. And I think that's why FSM was so powerful. And that is like, I can apply and all the other tech, I can apply this physics component towards patients versus, you know, just massively changing diet or, uh, you know, pumping in truckloads of supplements and things like that, all beneficial, but there was this cap a very real, how far I could get with them. And then when I started to bring in these other ideas, and then, like I said, I, I could find the pattern of this has to happen. Then this has to happen. Then this has to happen. Where do I lose you? Uh, you know, it, it just works incredibly well. I, I will highly encourage you guys. If you, if you have anybody who comes in with lupus, especially and to talk about history and how important history is always really important to ask them about infectious history, especially strep. Strep is usually the biggest culprit really? or, or even staff. But it's usually strep. 80% of the time it's strep. They usually have a pretty decent strep history, um, whether it's a lot of ear infections as a kid, tonsillitis, tonsils out, all of that stuff. It's almost always the early precursor to what you see when it comes down to dealing with something like lupus. And that was a tenant I learned from uh, German biological medicine when I did the work with them. But that was a game changer for me. So much so to the point that the Lupus Association of Nevada asked me to chair their medical board. 
Wow. So I chair, you know, I was like, you guys know I'm not a rheumatologist, right? Like I'm, you know, it was me and all these rheumatologists and behind the scenes, they were like, listen, do whatever you can do with this. Cause truthfully, we don't really have a good answer for this. You know, we have the methotrexates, you know, we have the hydroxychloroquines, but that's what we got. Right. So, but you know, I did that for like two years and it was just world war three between me and cause they got a hundred percent of their funding from pharmaceuticals. Right. So I would go, I'm not a very good yes person. Right. You know, no, you know me long enough. I'm like, no, then like, what do you think about? Nope, that's not right. You know, and, and then so there was this, you know, we weren't on the same ideas. So eventually my wife was like, you got to step down. She's like, you're going to get lupus. You're going to make yourself so crazy. You're going to get lupus or you're going to kill somebody. She's like, so step <laughs> and I stepped down. I was like, I'm never doing another board as long as I live, I swear. And like three weeks later, the Parkinson's board calls me. I was like, hey, we heard you step down from the lupus board. Like, do you want to come down and be a part of this? And I was like, look, I'll come down and talk to you guys, but I'm not doing any more boards. Of course, I'm a big softy. So three years on the Parkinson's board, but it was, it was the same, it was the same trauma. Right. You know, it was, it was the same stuff. And it got to the point, it got so bad between us that they told me they were having this huge event in Las Vegas and they wanted me to have a breakout session. And the people who were paying for the event told them if I showed up at the building, they would pull the event. They would pull 100% of the funding if I showed up at the building. Even if I just showed up as a guest and not even have a speaking spot, they were going to pull it. Stop. So, you know, I, I will tell you personally, I love the fact that they were that scared of me. I, love, I ate it up. I did not eat up the fact that patients would get hurt in the middle of our bickering. Sure. Right. I, you know, I was like, you know, this isn't working for anybody. I'll step down. I'm going to still do what I do. And, and I still get tons of patients with all that sorts of stuff. But it, it's interesting. So long start aside, but with lupus, again, there's a, one of those places you talk about history with that stuff is so massively important. So then do you, do you run some of the strep um, frequencies um, for them? If you do find out even, yeah. yeah okay. Just to yeah. kind of remove that even get to work in through history years ago. You get to work through all of that sorts of stuff. Again, big in mucous membranes, obviously, because that's usually a lot where it lies, but you got to look towards some of the connective tissue stuff. Yep. You got to look towards some of even the skin, depending. Uh, but working through all of those different ideas uh, can be really, really powerful. You still have to do your, your, so when we, when we teach, so what I never really imagined in my life was that I was going to teach any of this despite the fact that I have a lot to say and I talk a lot, I'm kind of an introvert. I, I know that probably, you know, us, us jabbering in the back of the room, not so much, but you know, like, I don't really think anything of it. Like I, I come to work, I, I do what I do. I go home, I'm with my kids and, and it, you know, that that's just kind of my routine. And, and because of some of the results and some of the science that we brought to the table, I got kind of thrust into the forefront of people wanting me to talk about what I was doing. I didn't think anybody would really be interested, but people wanted me to talk about it. So I was okay enough to do that. And I did. And so now like being in the public eye of it all, so to speak, and, you know, and running my own consulting where I'm teaching doctors how to do some of these different ideas, it's, it's wild and fascinating to me that it ever ends up to this point, but I'm still, I will tell you before every seminar, I'm having a panic attack. Am I bringing the coolest stuff? Am I bringing the most groundbreaking stuff? Am I bringing, you know, bleeding edge, forget cutting edge. I want it to hurt. Like I need to be on that bleeding edge where like, and I'm still amazed that even some of the more basic -y stuff that we talk about, they don't know. And it's not their fault. I mean, I didn't know it either. I was blissfully ignorant until I went and spent tons and tons of money and tons of hours traveling to learn all of it. Right. So I, I think part of the issue is that we have this huge gap between what's available research-wise and what we clinically are doing. Not us necessarily, but, but, you know, in, in FSM, but right. in general. Yeah. Um, oh, so many things. I want to go back on what you said. You know, we used to teach what's wrong, right? That's your A channel. And where is it happening? That's your B channel. And that is really just the tip of the iceberg, right? It, yeah. Especially, I think, when you are treating conditions, um, especially with autoimmune, but going back to that history, it's not enough to what's wrong. Where is it occurring? What is wrong? Why did it happen? Right. Yeah. Um, what, so, right. So, okay. We have lupus. Okay. Great. 
Um, but yeah, why did we get lupus? Why did we get MS? Why did we get um, mast cell activation syndrome? Why did we get all these different things? Um, so yeah, digging up the history and how long ago was that? So just when you think, oh yeah, I could wrap this up in two, three treat treatments tops. N- n- no, like, and then That's FSM, the <laughs> right. FSM is like a, a truth serum too, right? You, you, you think you have all the history and then you get two or three treatments deep and they're like, did I tell you about that time? I'm like, no, you didn't. Um, no, you didn't. <laughs> and then you, you try to like, not have your mad, angry parent face on, like, I'm glad you're sharing this information with me. I'm proud of you for telling the truth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> happens on the, happens on the daily, right? Totally. Um, and so like, so we talk about how much has changed with FSM, but I think in the last, you know, I've been practicing over 20 years now. And one of my favorite questions to ask people like yourself, who has been in the trenches with different modalities, what is, and this may be a hard question to ask, but what is one of the biggest shifts that you've seen maybe in the past, like five years with maybe chiropractic or FSM? Is there something that you've really seen change as far as, um, methods or ways of thinking or. Yeah, I I think, I think there's a couple of things. One, I think you're starting to see this bigger shift that occurred to me early on in practice life purely because it had to, like I alluded to before with my mom, but this shift towards, I just, all I care about at the end of the day is a well patient. Yeah. How I get them there is semantics to me. I, I lost all of the ties to techniques or dogma or all of those things. If it's a vitamin, great. If it's FSM, great. If it's Cairo, great. In the more complicated problems, usually more complicated problems need more complicated solutions. Like you said, we need a bunch of those different things. But it it, it changed for me very quickly because it wasn't like, well, I didn't get into this to help people with chiropractic. I got into this to help people. So what is the, how can I put myself in the best possible position to be able to do that? I can arm myself with the science. I constantly re-research. I'm constantly staying up on as much as I possibly can. And then trying to bridge that gap And I think that's the biggest thing, the ability to bridge the gap of that newest research with ways that we can actually affect it. Because I'm always amazed. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting twist. I wonder if there's anything research-wise that links those two things together. And I think I'm all special, like I thought of it myself. And then I go on PubMed and I Google and there's like 600 papers. And I'm like, yep, not me, not special, not me, definitely not that smart. (laughs) But but it's, it's trying to draw... I've had people over the years, and I always appreciate the compliment, but it's not true. Where they're like, my God, you're ridiculously smart. Not ridiculously smart. What I am, what I do have going in my favor is I'm relentless with the pursuit of information. And for some reason, I can take a lot of it in and spot through the patterns. So for autoimmune for me, I don't get so bogged into the history of them I know, okay, I have, I know this, 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 these things are major players with autoimmune. I got to check that irregardless of what they tell me. Then that's really 80% of my goal is managing that stuff for them. Then that last 20% is the stuff I got to dig out of them that they don't tell you until, you know, you're way into it. But I I think that lessened the pressure on me to a certain extent with FSM, because I, I know when I send docs over there and Carol always said, uh, I would sending, I was sending tons of docs to FSM. We had met passingly, but you know, not even knowing. Uh, she said, "Who is this Rob DiMartino guy?" Because I would send people over there, and they would say, "Well, Rob DiMartino told me I needed to take the course and I needed to buy the machines." And she said, "Well, what did he say?" He said, "He just said I had to do it." So, so she's like, "Who is this guy that's just telling them they have to do it, and they just all run and jump and do it?" But, but, but I would get that feedback of like, I don't know how to apply this. I don't know how to harness this thing. And that was where I think, you know, and that, and that was even a concern for me, taking the science and being able to do that, but really just being able to bridge that gap. Because the AMA says that we're 18 years behind the research clinically. That's amazing. And, and I think 18 years is polite. Right. I know. <laughs> I was, I read that. I think it was on your website and I was sitting with that for a second and I was like, well, that's terrible. But when you really start thinking about it, um, I agree that it's probably a very conservative number. I mean, I think we're. Um, and think about 18 years from now. I mean, back then th- there was no internet. 
you know, there were no cell phones really, or, or the very early versions of them. There was no Google. Right. Right. So, I mean, imagine that life versus the life now. And you think about how fast technology goes and how fast healthcare technology should go. Why wouldn't the lot like technology makes the human experience easier. Right. So why wouldn't the natural progression of it, like we can do all this cool diagnostic stuff with technology. Why wouldn't the natural progression be that treatment goes that way? It's only natural and logical. It follows the rest of the paradigm. Everything is gone. Right. Now you're talking to the guy who can't get his own Zoom set up. So <laughs> we can harness that. To that I know. This, is, this was so like that makes sense. <laughs> when, I, when I go, and I'm going to talk about some, some things that I do for recovery in a second. But um, one of, well, I'll just jump there because this podcast jumps all over the place. Let's face it. Oh, me too. When I, when I wrote the, um, the FSM sports course, I wrote it because I needed to organize the educational material in a way that PTs and trainers and people like me, we had to think in straight lines and boxes and give us information in these boxes, give us some sort of path to follow. And then we have the ability to blow and make our own paths and pave our own ways later on. So I organized the frequencies in, so we use an RRP module. So rehab, recovery, and then performance enhancement. And that, that track that I fought, my brain follows, whether it's a sports injury or a condition, you know, really complex, like lupus, I still follow that track of, we have to get them rehabilitated. Um, does that mean get them out of pain, get them moving better? Um, just, just make them feel better, right? That's that rehab bucket. And then we can move into the recovery. So we have them feeling better clinically, but how are we going to support that when they get in the car and drive home? So then we start talking about supporting them with digestion, sleep, stress, all those other important factors. Do you have some favorite recovery frequencies? Like, I'm not sure if it's in your model that you send patients home with custom cares, if you just tell them to buy them. What are some of your recovery hacks with and without FSM? Yeah, a lot, a lot of the times we'll, we'll have patients get their own machines and stuff, depending upon how complicated the, the problems are. But the, the, by far and away, the most important thing, when, when a patient says to me, hey, I want to be involved, I want to do something for my own health, what is the most important thing that I can do? And I will tell them, look, truthfully, at this point, I don't even really care what you eat. The most important thing that you do for me is protect at all costs your sleep. Yes. Protect your sleep. Because look, all the greatest healing modalities in the world don't work if you don't sleep yeah. and repair. And so much of that now is we're seeing about circadian rhythm and circadian biology. I mean, we've created a new science called chronobiology that is, is groundbreaking. And so much of these diseases have everything. I mean, if you look up any disease, it usually starts with poor sleep. Yeah. It's a precursor to just about every single disease process that you will ever run into. So protecting your sleep, but also beyond that, protecting your light environment, you know, light at night before going to bed. You know, I, I'm amazed at how many times people say, well, I sleep all night with a TV on. So again, if your body perceives any light at night, you won't go into those healing zones that we want you to go into that, that are so drastically important. You know, this is Vegas where I am. It's shift work central there's a 350% greater chance of having an autoimmune disease if you run shift work, yeah. right? And that's just about your sleep and your light. So controlling that sometimes is, is a lot of the battle, Yeah. but it, it's, it's something that no one is told. You know, they tell you sleep and they get that, but it, it's but not so how to sleep. And it is sleep. Yeah. exactly any new patient at my clinic usually gets emailed a sleep hygiene form. Um, I am almost convinced after you sign the waiver to sign the sleep hygiene form that you will participate in your health, um, with protecting your sleep. You know, um, David Musnick gave a fantastic talk a couple of years ago, all about sleep hygiene. And, you know, there's so many things that you can do, whether it's, you know, supplements, but turning the lights down. That is my first one that I say two hours before bed, you have to start preparing your cave. And they're like, pardon me. I'm like, yeah. When we were cave people, we didn't like, we didn't pull a chain and the sun went off and the moon came up. Right. We had this real gradual decline from day to night. And you have to do that with your house. You have to get it cooler. You have to get it darker. Um, it is a whole preparation for sleep. And it's funny. I've got three teenagers. Um, and 
I hear from so many people, you know, my teenagers are up all night. I'm like, why? Oh, they're on their phones. Take their phones away. You're, you the, you're the parent. So, you know, whether it's, you know, and my kids are all um, high achieving academically and athletes, they know the value of sleep because they've had a poopy sleep and they've had a poopy day the next day. So that was enough um, for them to realize, okay, I'm going to phones go on, do not disturb. They get parked in the kitchen, dark light. So I, I am proud of my family that way. Um, but it is so hard because not even that we have the TVs in our bedroom that used to be like 20 years ago. I'm like, take the TVs out of your bedroom. Okay. Now we have little TVs with us 24 seven implanted. They're always running, whether you have them on or not, right? It's not like a TV screen where it's Correct. on. You guys are always on or signaling. So it's, it's a totally different ballgame. It is really, really hard. Um, I used to tell some of my athletes that they would be like, well, can I run the FSM like concussion or sleep protocol and, the, and be on my phone? And I, I used to say, no, um, FSM will scramble your phone. Like, oh, so I had to scare them into shutting their phones off because they would do anything to protect those iPhones. So um, yeah, no, yeah, we, we need people to sleep, right? Sleep is recovery and recovery is sleep. They are interchangeable. Think of it this way, right? Even if you're looking at something so so basic, right? So it takes us four hours of complete darkness in sleep to really enter into the zones where our bodies will start healing. Now, again, when it's, it's designed that way, purely just because it's hunter-gatherer type times, right? The sun goes down, like you said, this you know, there's no light switch to turn on. So when we went to bed at that point, you were already at that four hours. That's where they came up with the, you need eight hours to sleep because you need that eight hours of restorative healing time. That wasn't just, well, it's a third of the day. It's a nice round mathematical number. <laughs> there was actually scientific data behind that. But now picture us the way we are now. Most people shut the lights off and go to sleep or are looking at their phones in bed and then go to sleep. So now the clock starts then. The average American sleeps six hours. So now you're maybe getting two hours of healing time. In what was supposed to be eight. So now we're only healing at 25% of the rate. And then you're looking at something like autoimmune disease, which basically is just a slow healing process. And you're saying, well, why did this happen? Well, 25% of the healing capacity, that's a pretty clear indication of why that's going to go. So, you know, simple, but profound, basic -y things like that are, are just of the forefront, like, hey, you've got to do these things. And then, you know, then you can start tweaking diet. But if you could just start, you know, I, I run my model off of a concept that what I explain to patients, I explain it as energetic debt. That's my model. Okay, so that became my, my subluxation model for Cairo became energetic debt. It came out of me one day when I was talking to a patient, I'm like, look, all health problems are caused by one of three things or a combo. It's either you're not making enough energy, you're spending too much energy, or you're not using energy efficiently somewhere. That's brilliant, Rob. That's it. One of those. Now, like you said, how someone ends up in those three things is very unique for the individual. And that's where history and all that stuff comes down. Right. But that's where we're looking, right? That's my ideology of, okay, there's six fundamental ways you make energy. How are you doing that? Where are you spending, right? Infections and things like that. Lots of people get strep infections when they're younger. Lots of people get tons of antibiotics. Not a lot of them get ANA markers. So what's right. the difference between the two, right. right? They have enough energy to deal. I mean, it's basically that simple. So there's usually a combination, but it's very fun now because it broke me out of those like two hour long consult things because I was getting to this very simple explanation is this is what we're looking for. This is what we're going to test you for when we find, if we find one or all three of those problems, we have a solution towards it. Right. And it's nice that they walk out like, God, that makes a ton of sense. No one's ever explained it to me that way. Totally. Because yeah. it's complicated science just brought into a, a form that we all understand. And I, you know, because I had a gal, great, lovely gal, MS, she had a stroke, then she got MS. She had the stroke because she's taking estrogen and she's smoking like a chimney right? Which is basically guaranteeing you to have a stroke at some point in your life. Right. And when we started to get into it, she literally put her hand in my face and said, don't even talk to me about the smoking thing. I'm not stopping. So I said, all right, well, we got to talk about this, right? So I said, why? <laughs> well, my uncle smoked till he was a hundred and he was fine. Okay. I get that. So if you and I and Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Elon Musk went to the casino 
and they all bet a million dollars on one round of cards. Would you think that's nuts? Yeah, right. But if they lost a million dollars, that's like the equivalent of losing us losing like 10. Right. Why? Because they have a tremendous amount of money. They won't feel that. I don't know your uncle. I never met him. But what I can tell you for sure sitting here is he had enough energy in his body that that didn't put him into debt. He could overcome that. That's all I can tell you. Now, you don't have that luxury because we're already behind. That's why you have these diseases. Right. And that was the thing that snapped it. She's like, oh, my God, you're, you're right. So that is not- a brilliant way of explaining that to a patient, by the way. I, I spend a crazy amount of my time because I'm crazy visual. So I spend a tremendous amount of my time trying to figure out ways that I can explain these things to people to make them understand because the science gets out of control really quickly yeah, and complicated really fast. So what can I do to make it simple? And it's a, it's a system. It's a, that's what I taught that very first FSM. There's four systems, right? Systems of communication, systems of marketing, systems of communication, systems of sales cycles, and which I hate the term, but I like to talk on that starts, getting people to start taking care of their health. And then systems of treatment. Right. If you can wrap systems around all of those things, and FSM is really nice because it's very easily systemized. If you have all of those things right, practice becomes a lot easier. But communicating that style to patients is important because I would always get mad at functional medicine because they'd be like, well, they have to change their diet. Do you know anybody? Because diet's the cause of it all. Do you know anybody who eats really bad and doesn't have any health problems? Yeah. So why isn't it cause it for them? Well, their genetics. So is genetics the cause or is diet the cause? Right. Well, they're lucky. So we have no shot here. So why are we even practicing? (laughs) (laughs) Why are we bothered to exist? Right. Right. You know, same thing. Do you you know people who have metal fillings in their mouth? Do they get sick? What's their genetic? Okay. So is it genetics? Then we get into, you start poking holes. My favorite is if, if you, in autoimmune, the big thing is fasting, powerful mediums for autoimmune. So if fasting is one of the greatest things we can do for an autoimmune patient, how do we think that giving them 200 different nutritional supplements a day is going to get them out of this? They're polarly opposite. It's illogical. They're polarly opposite ideas. Yeah. Both, you know, and there's valor to both of them, but they're missing that core ideology of what causes it to begin with in the, in the middle. And, and, you know, obviously maybe in another, maybe, maybe that's what the talk ends up being at the, at the event is, you know, what is autoimmune, what causes it, all those different types of things, because it's not the medium to do that in, but once you know all that sorts of stuff, patients obviously see the holes in that really quickly. Right. And now that's, you have a system to operate off of. Well, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, what you just said, I've thought of it in those ways, but I've never put it together in the exact same. I lost both my parents to cancer when they were really young. I figured they had terrible diets. They smoked. I just, right. My grandmother had the same diet, the same health she smoked lived till she was 94, lived at home, shoveled her sidewalk, uh, did everything. And so I remember talking to a functional medicine doctor about like, what can I do? I have these parents that died of cancer. And he's like, talk to me about other grandparents. I'm like, oh, my grandmother just died. She lived to be 90. He's like, well, let's just hope you take after her. And I'm just like, so, again, why am I here? Do we have no Not control? good enough. <laughs> Not good enough answers when you're talking about me. Or anything else. And, and, and I think that's the thing. I, I think so much, so much what we've always done, and I know it's been the knock against Kairos, is it's a lot of it's blunt force trauma, right? It's treat and treat and treat. And if it's not getting better, treat more and hope it gets better. And that was very wearing on me because I was going through a lot of burnout personally in practice with stuff like that. And because I, and part of it was just because I had this crazy level of caring and I wasn't winning. I was, I was doing okay. I mean, practice wise, I was doing great, but I didn't feel like I was living up to what I really should be living up to. And, you know, from the results for patient wise, and in part of that came down to, I had to replace that ideology with strategy. Strategy is what, so, so now everything is incredibly strategic. Like I plan and I strategize, I strategize with patients. I strategize their, their care plans. I kind of know where I need to go. Of course, I'm testing along the way. But if you know all the moving parts, the strategy becomes much easier. And that's where it became, I went into everything. It's like I said, teaching the strategy of how to think. I went in with a strategy around the disease and each one's 
again, similar, but a little bit different. And when you're armed with that strategy, more complex problems get simpler. They're not easy, but they get simpler. Right. I mean, I, just talking about lupus again, um, how many of us even thought about looking at strep? Um, for I lupus didn't patient? until he told me that, that seminar. <laughs> like, right. That's, that's mind blowing. Um, I, one of the conditions that I've been seeing a ton of in the past um, two years, I would say is mass activation. I kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, there's a really, I'm going to ask you what your favorite books are in a second, but um, I met somebody that recommended this book. So YouTubers, I'm going to give you the visual podcasters. I'll read it to you. It's called Mass Cell United. It's a very thick book um, by Amber Walker. It reads like a novel and a textbook all in one. It talks about this woman who's a PT, I believe, how she was diagnosed with mass cell activation and she became like obsessed with it and finding more about it. So it's almost like the physician's desktop manual. I have this in my clinic because um, I don't know a ton about mass cell activation, but the more I learn about it, the um, more terrified I, be <laughs> I become. Um, so I, I've been seeing a lot of patients um, getting it post COVID and also post vaccine. So I'm not sure if you have any anything to say about mass activation or not, or if you've seen anything in the last couple of years. See a ton of it. You're gonna you're gonna see more of it. We're all gonna see more of it. There's there's a lot of players to it, but the two main players to it is there is always EMF toxicity. Right. Always, always, always. It's actually probably what causes it. There's always EMF toxicity. So, you know, your, your 954s, your, your 54s, your 10s on microcurrent become vastly important to work with those types of people. And of course, they've got to look and change their environments. Because, because a lot of it really is just EMF allergy. Hmm. You know, on lab work, look at their bun creatinine ratios. If they're above 15, there's probably EMF toxicity, right? That's my quickest, fastest denominator of looking at lab work to kind of denote whether that's actually happening. Interesting. The other big thing is they tend to run really high levels of deuterium, which is a type of very heavy hydrogen that break their mitochondria. Right. So, uh, and again, deuterium makes you much more sensitive to EMF and you're much more sensitive to, to histamine reactions. So there's almost always, and there's always methylation issues as well within them as well. So, so you know, those are three big things, but between those three things, they are core ideologies of what they of what causes mast cell activation, and it's a very solvable and permanently solvable problem. I don't care if people have genetics that turn on; we turn them off. Right, right, yeah. Um, somebody just asked in the chat, show the book again. Sure, it's Mast Cell United: A Holistic Approach to Mast Cell Activation Syndrome by Amber Walker. Um, you could order it on Amazon today, and Prime members get it the next day. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's oh. me with my like click. I need that book, but honestly, it reads like a novel, um, and it breaks down some very um, complicated science into some very um, digestible little bits and pieces. Um, I asked you before if you could prepare um, your quote, but before I ask you that, I want to ask you, in your opinion, what makes a good FSM practitioner, what characteristics for the people, a lot of people who are new to this, um, I feel like we've done a better job teaching it. We have a little bit more, um, retention with practitioners. I, you know, early on before I started teaching, I would bring people to courses and then they would fall off after a year or two. It's too hard. The frequencies don't work because they weren't taking the time to get the history. Cause you're right. The frequencies won't work if you're not um, targeting what is necessary. So um, I think with you, Rob, you make a good FSM practitioner um, and you summarized it early on in the podcast is you are relentless, right? You're um, I think that's one of the biggest things is um, passion to help somebody. And when you truly have passion to help your patients you stay up at night, right? Like I have a, a pitch of a slide in the sports course and it's the inside of my forerunner where I have my laptop open and I'm programming someone's custom care off the side of the freeway because I had the idea of, oh, this is why they had that. Um, so I don't know if you have anything, if any other words to add to what makes I, a good FSM practitioner. I think it's patience with yourself. Ah. Long learning curve here. And yeah not just throwing up your hands and giving up on it because you, you have to look, there's the, we're all, we were talking about before, like we, I still learn stuff looking at the, at the laminates, right? There's still stuff that will come up, 
But I, I think a huge thing is, like I said, focus on your strategy. Focus on however you're practicing, however you want to practice. If you want that practice, you can get it if you build the right strategy around it. If you go in with a good strategy, strategy handles a lot of anxiety. When I was a kid, I moved to a new area and they wanted to play this game called Manhunt. It's basically hide and seek in the dark over like an eight block radius. I was <laughs> I never done this before. I wanted to make a good impression on these kids because I wanted to be friends. So I, I, I strategized during the day. I rode my bike around. I found places to hide. I, found, <laughs> I was fast so I could get away, but I, and that was how I did it. But then when I played that night, all the anxiety was gone right? because I was ready to go. In a plan in I place. went in prepared. So you, but you're not going to be prepared overnight with this, right? right? So learning from people like you and, and Dr. McMakin and all these different people, that's what brings strategy to the table and cuts that learning curve down. Right. But, but you got to be a little bit patient with yourself upon that. Right. That's that right into the quote, I'm sure. Yeah. So good, good segue to what I'm going to, um, my quote's a bit obscure today, but please share yours. It's a good one. My favorite, one of my personal favorite quotes is chance favors the prepared mind. Yes. By Louis Pasteur of all people. Right? Really? Like, Interesting. Really agree with on all things. But I do agree with that sentiment. Yes, that's, and so mine is also, it's funny, um, Carol and I have a really, I'll have the podcast all prepared and um, she never knows what we're going to talk about. I always just kind of throw everything at her and she will organically tell stories that morphed with the theme. And so before I even asked you for your quote, I was um, trying to dig up mine and I'm a runner and um, I've been playing around with running on the road versus the trail with music, with my dog, with my thoughts, which can lead me to very short or long runs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I have a, a new love of using these guided runs from Nike, actually. Um, and I have a favorite coach that's on there and he doesn't just scream at you, run faster. He has some very inspirational things that you can think about almost like meditative, you know, going through your body. How does your, how do your feet feel when they're striking the pavement? How are your hips? What's your form? Like really really valuable check-ins. And today, um, and he said an interesting blurb, which wasn't a quote, but he said, regardless of how long or fast you're running, today's run is going to make tomorrow's run even better. And I thought about that kind of globally when we treat patients or when we get stuck with patients and you think like, why did this patient come to see me? I have no idea how I'm going to help them. Well, you're going to study that condition and you're going to be relentless and you're going to be patient. And when that next patient comes in with similar symptoms, you're going to be prepared, <laughs> you know? And, um, I, I think there's just a lot of value in, and, um, the relentlessness and the passion and the patience, um, for everything that we do. Yeah, Jim Oshman said it at one of the advanced, I think it was two years ago, and I wrote it down and I started and I circled and he said, I believe if I'm quiet enough inside of myself, eventually my intuition will bring me the answer. Oh, And I was like so blown away by that because I'm of the type of personality that I will just relentlessly think about it until I figure it out. And sometimes I'll be staring off into my space. My wife be like, you upset? Nope. Just stuck. And yeah. what can I do for you? Just leave me alone. Just let me try to work it out. And I got to go do something else. And then usually what happens is I pop up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh. <laughs> and you hear me get out of bed and I'll go run off. I'll put my blue blockers on because I'm a good boy watching light. But, yeah. you know, I go running and I, I'll get the answer. But sometimes it's just a matter of being quiet and it'll mm -hmm. come to you. You have to trust that that will do it. And that's hard. <laughs> that's really it, hard. It can, especially when there's multiple voices telling you to do multiple things. Rob, thank you so much for coming on today. I could oh, talk I, to you I, for hours. I know. I mean, yeah, absolutely. But I, I had a blast. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm always surprised that people ask, but uh, you know, any which way I can help. But if anybody out there, you guys have questions, like Kim said, you can go to my website and, you know, uh, ask me questions, use me as a resource. I'll see you all at the advanced, but I'm happy to help any which way that I possibly can. Perfect. We, um, we get a lot of questions for the podcast, either um, for future shows or for previous ones. It's on a job form on the frequency specific website. You can still go on there and write your questions and they'll funnel them over to myself or to Rob. Um, like I said, his website is shslasvegas.com. It's Superior Health Solutions. So um, yeah. Yeah. We are here Thanks. to help you if you need it.
Thank you so much. Thanks everybody for coming. Um, we're going to have no show, no live show next week. I will be in Canada, but I am recording the show um, tomorrow or Friday with another very special guest. It's going to be a cliffhanger. You're going to have to just um, wait for Kevin to post it. They're off in Europe right now, but it, the interview is going to be fantastic. And then we're going to be live again the following week. So no live show next week, but it will be posted again, Rob. Thank you so much. Thanks everybody for coming. And we'll see you guys all soon. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.